0: Emotions deliver important messages. Ignore them and the volume goes up. Hey guys, so thrilled you're here. No ads, no fluff, just a heart to heart journey towards a better self. If you want to keep getting every episode as soon as it goes live, hit the subscribe button. It's two seconds and just one click to fuel your growth. Subscribing brings more clarity, not just for you, but to other people just like you who push themselves to be better. So let's help more people listen so they can learn, grow, and live better. Let's create a world full of insight, clarity, drive, and growth, one action at a time. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, where we talk about applying high-leverage psychology in your business and life. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, licensed psychologist, private practice owner, speaker, executive coach, and consultant. I became a psychologist to learn how to leverage psychology and help others do the same. For over a decade, I've been tracking how psychology gets in the way of smart and results-driven people. For years, I've developed frameworks and tools to help them leverage psychology instead to launch themselves forward. It's my mission to share my hard-earned lessons with you so you can launch yourself forward too. I can't wait to talk high leverage psychology with you so you can learn to take higher leverage action today. Let's talk high leverage psychology. Last week, I covered how frustration, stress, and shame get in the way of productivity, and how to turn negative emotions into fuel to move towards your goals and dreams. Today, I'm going one step deeper. Stig emotions get big and disruptive for a reason. We accidentally train them to keep coming back bigger and worse. I'll uncover how and share a simple three-step process to reverse it. Let's dive in. When I go grocery shopping, I am all about efficiency, planning what I need, mapping out the fastest route to the grocery store and inside the grocery store, getting what I need as fast as possible, in and out, as quickly, as soon as possible. But one thing stops me in my tracks every time. It gets my blood boiling, a vein in my temple pounding, and breaks my heart. It takes a lot of effort to hold myself back. I don't mind waiting in line or the annoyance of not finding everything on my grocery list. That I'm prepared for. Watching a tantrum unfold is agonizing to me. The kid begging for a candy, the parents ignoring or snapping back, the inevitable escalation of whining, digging heels in, and explosion. Worst of all, watching parents get worn down and give in at the very end. I get it. Parenting is hard and exhausting. I really empathize with parents. My daughter is not a walk in the park all the time. Sometimes I struggle with it too. The part that breaks my heart is knowing that the parent just accidentally taught their kid a terrible lesson. That the way to get what they want or need is to throw a tantrum. The kid learns to expect resistance and to handle it with escalation to trust that a reward will follow when they push harder, lose control, and explode. The parent just made their own life and the kid's life 10 times harder. And every time they go through the cycle, they reinforce it. Again, awful experience for the parents, terrible lesson for the kid, a colossal tragedy in my book. It's a dagger in my heart every single time. When a client walks into my office and their emotions are highly disruptive and out of control, I have a pretty keen idea why. And it might not be what you're thinking. Highly disruptive means 8, 9, or 10 out of 10. It looks like explosive anger, crippling anxiety, or stress. Productivity crushing perfectionism or imposter syndrome. Like clockwork, one of the first things I pay attention to is how they trained their disruptive emotion to escalate. And no, it's not always the parent's fault. We don't have to spend weeks, months, or years rehashing or processing the past. What we need to do is to diagnose and reverse that process. First, let's clarify the cycle that makes emotions so disruptive. Then, I'll share my favorite way to reverse the process in three simple steps. The disruptive emotion cycle looks like this. One, we perceive the status quo as problematic. An emotion shows up to grab our attention and deliver the message so we can figure it out and make a change. There are millions of ways and reasons that that can happen, but here are a few examples. We feel disrespected by a friend or family member because they said something insulting or show up late for a get together. We feel frustrated at work because we find ourselves blocked from making progress. We act in ways that are misaligned with our values or the values of people around us that we care about. We waste an entire day without doing work or we treat someone unkindly. Two, We react to the discomfort by dismissing, minimizing, ignoring, or distracting ourselves. Instead of listening, we push it away. This is where procrastination, doom scrolling, and a thousand other forms of distraction kick in. Pick your poison. It really doesn't matter which one. Three, we temporarily feel relief because we're not being bombarded with the negative emotion while we are distracting ourselves. The relief reinforces the decision to distract from the emotions, and that leads to four. The emotion comes back bigger because it's got one job, to deliver the message and make sure we do something about it. We keep repeating steps two, three, and four, reacting to discomfort by dismissing or distracting ourselves, that temporary relief which reinforces the distraction. And then the emotion keeps coming back bigger because it's still trying to do that job. That cycle, the longer we're in it, reinforces emotions to keep getting bigger and bigger and coming back over and over again. In other words, it's almost like we're training the emotion to be more disruptive. Like the kid tantruming at the store. Most of my clients don't realize why it happens at first. Eventually, I help them recognize that disruptive emotions are just trying to get us to pay attention and make positive change. Negative emotions get a bad reputation because they can be uncomfortable or even miserable. So we run away from the discomfort instead of slowing down, listening, and decoding what they're trying to say. Often our brains and bodies only pay attention to a problematic situation because of the disruption of uncomfortable emotions. Emotions deliver important messages. Ignore them and the volume goes up. Except in cases like SM. In most ways, she's an average woman, three kids, a job, hobbies, except her amygdala was completely destroyed. The amygdala is a part of our brain that labels situations as potentially problematic or dangerous, and it triggers fear or anxiety in response. So SM is, in one sense, Fearless. It sounds great, right? Except she kept putting herself in danger, living in a dangerous neighborhood, walking alone at night through parks with sky high rates of violent crime, walking into the street ignoring oncoming traffic. In fact, her history was full of dangerous, life threatening situations, and she seemed to be completely, blissfully unaware of them. Her doctors were astonished that she hadn't already died. And they were very worried for her. She's able to feel all kinds of positive emotions, but kept taking unnecessary risks and putting her life in danger. Because not being able to recognize a threat meant she didn't pay attention or change her behavior in the face of danger. Some of her doctors worked very hard to help her learn to analyze whether a situation is dangerous to protect herself. So for the rest of us who aren't like SM... How do we get emotions like fear, frustration, or shame to turn the volume down? Before we get to the practical steps, there's one belief I need to address. It is the elephant in the room. I've been touching on it already, and maybe you've noticed. I don't really like the language of negative emotions, because it assumes some emotions are bad. The logical conclusion is to get rid of them. Instead, I like to call them uncomfortable or disruptive emotions sometimes I refer to them as stick emotions. Why? Because they show up to deliver difficult news, to have a tough conversation with ourselves, to grab our attention and shake us up, to make change. There are two ways of thinking about disruption. One is negative, messing with the status quo, and the other is positive, creating a shake-up for the better. Disruption in the New York subway system, creates lots of problems for lots of people. But disruption in tech fundamentally changes how people, businesses, and industries operate. It gets rid of less efficient and effective habits and systems by replacing them with something much better. Now, what if most people believe disruptive emotions are like train delays, just creating problems and getting in the way? So they grumble, groan, and ignore them. And that only creates bigger problems, because disruptive emotions are trying to shake up and replace bad habits, systems, and outcomes with much better ones. Disruptive emotions are like firefighters. They come knocking when there's smoke pouring out of a window. If nobody answers, they'll resort to kicking and breaking the door down. It explains a lot about how people accidentally train their disruptive emotions to get bigger and push harder to the point of losing control and exploding. And it opens a whole new way of thinking and handling disruptive emotions, which is exactly what I help my clients learn to do. And that helps them reverse this training process. Real quick, remember the moment an insight here clicked for you? Let's spread more of those aha moments. And here's how you can do that right now. And have my everlasting gratitude. Subscribe, rate, and review. It takes a minute, but it helps other people benefit from your light bulb moment. You can light up a complete stranger's day or a friend's in 60 seconds or less. It would mean the world to me because my mission is to help more people breeze through stress and frustration, overcome setbacks faster, and live their best lives. And more importantly, it can make a world of difference to someone on the verge of a life-changing insight. Here's my favorite way to help my clients dial down the intensity of disruptive emotions in three simple steps. Tag, translate, and take action. Step one, tag the disruptive emotion. It's so important to recognize and label it because otherwise we ignore or distract ourselves, which just leads to it coming back bigger try to catch it earlier instead of resisting because it will escalate and bust through the door like firefighters. Remember, disruptive emotions have a purpose to help you replace bad habits, systems, and outcomes with better ones. The next step is all about how to unlock the power of disruptive emotions, and it holds the key to helping them come down and not keep showing up bigger and bigger. So here's step two. Translate the emotion into a clear message. Decode what it's trying to get you to pay attention to, and why. So you can focus on the important issue at hand. Remind yourself, it wants something for you. It's not just chasing a candy bar, it's looking out for your best interests. Usually, disruptive emotions give us one of two messages. Either the status quo needs changing, whether that's an action, habit, a system, or an outcome. Or your perception doesn't match reality, and that needs changing. Once you clarify which message it's delivering and how it's trying to get you to address or make that change, you're almost there. And that brings us right to step three. Take effective action. With that clarity, address it by making change in your action or your thinking. Think of it like this. When a firefighter shows up, they don't just leave whenever, they'll keep going until the job is done, because lives are at stake. Your disruptive emotions treat your life like it's at stake, because it wants what's best for you. Take effective action to make the change. Once you're on it, the disruptive emotion will actually ease up a little bit, because you're on it. And when you've made that change, you might find that that emotion has actually gone away. Here are a couple of examples to help you tag, translate, and take action. Take a look at anxiety. Anxiety shows up when there's a possibility that something won't go well. It's there to help us prepare so that we can reduce risk and increase the likelihood of a better outcome. When we avoid or delay and time goes by without addressing it, the anxiety is going to dial up because it's the reverse of what your anxiety is trying to help you do. So it's going to escalate. As another example, let's take a look at stress. Stress shows up when the stakes and the strain of a particular task or project or outcome or situation when it's really high. The whole point of stress is to help you gear up to pay attention and be ready for handling that and to jump to it. When we avoid or delay, we're not really expanding our ability or engaging our ability, to shoulder and carry ourselves to success. So, the stress is gonna dial itself up. Remember, emotions are like messengers. They've got something important to show you. And like firefighters, they've got a job to do. And they will not go away until it's done. When we try to delay or distract or ignore or push it away, it'll just keep hammering on the door until it breaks down. The faster you tag, translate and take effective action, the better, because the longer we take, the more disruptive emotions are going to turn up the volume. And the way to get better and faster at that is to practice. The more we do it, the easier it gets. The fastest way to make the biggest progress is with one-on-one guidance, with accountability and troubleshooting, which I love doing with my clients, because watching their disruptive emotions become less disruptive is such a huge relief for them. It saves time, energy, and helps them be so much more productive. And because they become empowered to turn a liability, a problem, into an asset, into a solution, it gives them so much leverage. And when they're done, they have such an unfair advantage, which is something that I hope you can get from today's podcast. And on that note, I'll see you next week. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast is produced by Dr. Yishai and Podtech. Music by www.purple-planet.com. Dr. Yishai is a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with the guest or a listener. The information contained in this publication is for general informational purposes only and shall not be relied on or construed as coaching advice or therapy. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope today's episode fulfilled my mission to help you leverage psychology better in your business and life.